freaking auto! This is Brock and Saul. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buhner just punched me in the kidney. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. We're going to do you on the internet. That really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Saul. Hello! Yep, hello, Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports, 710, salesports.com, and the Seattle Sports application. It's a formal Friday. Brock's going to be in today. G's going to be in today. He's been at the Super Bowl the last couple of days down Radio Row. We'll get a sense of what it was like down there and why. sure he made his flight? Oh, no, I'm not sure about anything. Okay. I texted G uh, yesterday. I, I think he'll be here. He's so excited to tell you guys what he told me the other day that I'm sure he'll be here at 8.30 yeah, you today. gave us a cliffhanger on like Monday or Tuesday yeah. during break and told us we had to wait till Friday to hear his news. It's his news. It's not mine to share. Right. Um, but he he's done some research and he was fairly shocked at what he found. Oh. So I, I'm, that's all I'll say. So this isn't like personal news. G did some research. Okay. And he's shocked by what he found. Okay. And you may be as well. So that's uh, that's coming up at 830 today. Brock may or may not have gotten us Kurt Warner. We'll see where that goes. So that's another little part of the day. I'm jealous, man. I really wish I was in Vegas. I I love, you know, I love Vegas. I've only been to one Super Bowl radio row. That was when the Seahawks went uh, to face the Patriots in, in Phoenix. And I would really, re- like, I, when they're in some cities in Houston, I'm like, yeah, that's all right. Dallas, like, yeah, I'll be just fine. Miami, yeah, I do kind of like Miami. I think that's a fun town. But there's, I mean, the idea of the Super Bowl in Vegas, I am bummed to be missing it. Maura, you've been to more Super Bowls than any of us. Justin, you were there last year. Uh, 21. Obviously. Uh, that wasn't last year. Oh, that was two years ago. Man, yeah. it's been a long time. <laughs> you were there two years ago yep. uh, in L.A. for the uh, for the Bengals Super Bowl, which was awesome when your friend sent you down there. Yep. Uh, but, Maura, you've been to, what, three or four, right? Uh, no, I think I just went to two. With two? I went to Minnesota and Atlanta. Okay. But, yeah, I, I just think it's a super fun week. What did you love care. about just it? Just the Radio Row experience is pretty fun. Just seeing all these, like huge names in sports just walking around going table to table and i mean like we're taking pictures with um evander holyfield he brought a steak because everyone's like promoting something Mm. at the super bowl too um cooked steak yeah he was promoting some certain brand i think at least it was cooked god love clayton you know he kept calling him evander holyfield (laughs) (laughs) cute (laughs) it's so funny did holyfield know who he was uh, I think so. Yeah, oh, he, okay. I guess he had stopped him in an airport years before. Of course, or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's just a good. T- they always have something going on at night. Like the first night, they have the big welcome both the teams in, and you can walk around and interview people. And then the second night, there's a big media night. Like when it was in Minnesota, they opened up that amusement park in the Mall of America. Mm. Like you could ride roller coasters. It was all closed just for the media, and they had, had drinks and food and everything. And in Atlanta, it was at the aquarium, and that was all closed to the public. So I, I love it. That I would definitely awesome. go to a Super Bowl again. It is really fun. I mean, uh, you know, years ago, it was a staple of like every radio station, every sports radio station around the country. And, you know, it's expensive. And at some point, a lot of the a lot of the people in charge kind of looked at the budget and was like, is this really something we need to be spending on? Is this actually like, are we actually getting our like money back on this? 
Yeah. And so, unfortunately, I think some of the radio row stuff has died down and fewer and fewer radio stations go ours among them. And that started uh, years ago, well, 12, 13, 14 years ago, that started here. Uh, maybe actually really right from the beginning. I mean, the only radio row other than Clayton, because he was John Clayton, the only radio rows we've been to were the two years the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. So this station's never really done it. But God, I wish we would. It would be fun. It would be such a blast to just be there and be a part of it, and especially this year in Vegas. I did find myself to be uh, yeah. pretty pretty Vegas jealous. Vegas is just so accessible. It's built for this. Yes. There's a billion This wake-up time would places. feel extra people in Vegas. Though. What do you mean wake-up time? We could be going to bed here in another few hours and <laughs> stay up all night, do the show. Like Sounds True. perfect. A night of uh, playing a little blackjack and then... Uh, yeah, get right on to uh, no, get right onto the air. I think we saw what lack of sleep soft leads to yesterday. Well, gonna, I don't know if you're we can see... all just stay up and do the show. You may see more of it today. Oh, Laura. No, another you, long night. You've got day two of uh, not a lot of uh, sleep sulk. As uh, yeah, Gertie Gertie's doing a little better. She's going to be okay, but uh, good uh, through yeah. Went to bed Tough about one. went to bed about one thirty. Woke up about four thirty. So it's uh, we'll see how today goes. Once again, it's just uh, it's one of those things. All right. Um, a bunch of things going on today. Uh, I can start in any number of these places, but, um, let me, let me start with, um, geez, uh, what was I just going to do? I'm sorry. See, this is what yeah, happens when wow. I get, uh, when I get myself all, uh, all exhausted from not getting enough sleep because I want to, I want to, uh, dig into, um, this Jackson Smith and Jigba stuff a little bit later. I was going to go through that at seven o'clock and why he is so mad. So for the second day, he was asked again about the offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, you know, what he was bringing to the table and what he liked about him. I'll play you the answer and need to know, but it is a, it, it might be worse than the first one. Yes. His answer yeah. got worse over the course of 24 I mean, we're, hours. We're past that might've been an accident. Uh, yeah. Right? I was benefit of the doubting that until I heard the second. I one. was too. Honestly, I really was. I was like, okay, that's bad, but like, yeah. So maybe he got caught on. off his feet. Maybe it was like a, oh no, I don't have an answer right away. Are we live? Shoot, uh, yeah, panic rush through an answer. Yeah. The second one, it's deliberate now. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he's now been asked about it before, and so he knows this is coming. He knew the first one blew up. Like, he, he's there is something there, and it seems a little personal. It seems a little of everything. So I'll play that sound coming up here in a little bit. But I, I do think that that speaks to. Just sort of the whole the whole problem and, and and how bad things maybe were last year and maybe worse than we knew. Th- those are the types of things that when they get out, make me think that like we only see the tip of the iceberg. Right. You know, we know that there was something that was going on with DK last year. Don't know all of it. I'm going to guess. But we know that something was going on with DK Metcalf and the penalty board and all of that. We know that something was going on with Jamal Adams, right? Don't know all of the details, but there was something going on there to eventually the point where he left the stadium or didn't show up for a game, even though he was not supposed to play in it. That's odd and doesn't usually happen that way. And then, you know, you just have the cigars and the frustration from the players. Like something tells me we don't even know the whole story. That there is more to it. And so when little little moments like this kind of bubble out, it makes me think that the sauce underneath 
is a whole lot spicier than we realized. Yeah, if we're seeing it manifest this publicly, uh-huh. there's a lot more about Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it t- it takes a while for something like this to actually, or it takes a lot for something like this to eventually come out. So I, I don't think this is nothing. I think this is very much the reason why things look the way they do right now. And I think that it's all going to come back here to not just Pete's coordinators, which I think were a huge, huge thing, but also to the to to the um, lack of discipline. And I think it's going to tell us one of the reasons that that John decided to go with a guy in Mike McDonald that sure seems like he is no nonsense and comes from a Raven system that has always been no nonsense. So, you know, all of those things end up being related. And I'm curious to see, you know, what it means now here over the next couple of days as they end up, you know, signing somebody to be their offense court. That's got to happen soon, right? This is like the world's longest process to find your coordinator. It's not like the, you don't have some big decisions that need to be made right away. Which like, is which is going to get done faster? The two the two parties will actually like you know figure out their nominees and be done. I mean, I guess they know who they're going to be, but like actually like <laughs> nominate them, or we're going to get like an offensive coordinator here for the Seahawks. It's a losing conversation. It's an ex- yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Let me tell you about the primary system versus caucuses. Like, okay, that. we'll dig right into that. All right, you know what? Let's just take a break. I'll re uh, I'll regroup. I'll collect myself. We'll come back. We'll give you everything you need to know. I'll play you the Jackson Smith and Jigba sound, which is head scratching. Next on Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. You know, when you make decisions in sports, you often have to see where the road not traveled leads, right? When you decide to choose one player over another, specifically in the draft, yeah, you're going to end up probably judging the career of both guys. So Jordan Brooks or Patrick Queen. We'll see where that one ends up, uh, especially with both on the market this offseason. It's certainly possible that the former Ravens defense coordinator will want Patrick Queen here in Seattle. Devin Witherspoon or Jalen Carter both had great starts in their NFL career, but it was Carter who finished second behind Will Anderson for defensive uh, rookie of the year. Devin Witherspoon was fourth. So why? Was that some East Coast bias? Sure, probably. But it's also the value of a defensive lineman versus a nickel corner, something we talked a lot about in the moment and I don't think is going away anytime soon. How about this one? Jackson Smith and Jigba versus Zay Flowers. The Baltimore rookie might have had a better regular season on the field, but boy, did he melt down in the playoffs. And now he's being investigated for domestic violence. So that one continues to uh, shift and certainly making Jackson Smith and Jigba look a whole lot better. On the other hand, JSN, Clearly had some issues last year with his offensive coordinators. Man, he is just unwilling to say anything nice about Shane Waldron. A day after essentially pausing for 30 seconds when asked about him, here was uh, his next interview. What are the Bears getting in Shane Waldron? First and foremost, you know, just meeting Shane for the first time. Great human, um, great person to be around in the building. Um, Always looking on the bright side, always trying to figure out, you know, how to win. And uh, just just someone that, you know, I can respect. Um, definitely uh, looking forward to what he, you know, his journey in Chicago, um, you know, it's going to be, you know, tough without him. Um, but we're looking forward to the future, ready for, you know, what's next for us. Offensively, what do you like about him as a coach? Offensively, 
I just like his uh, determination, um, you know, of just trying to score, just trying to get that ball in the end zone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lord, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> good luck to Chicago. He's going to be great. He's going to be good. Um, you know, sad that he's not in Seattle anymore. No, it doesn't sound like you are. I got to <laughs> tell you, Jackson, it really doesn't sound like you are well, And if at you see all. the video, Chris Olave can't even make eye contact with him when they start laughing. I mean, they're dying of laughter at the very idea of him as an offensive coordinator. So things must have just been really, really rough, probably a whole lot rougher than we even knew. All right. Uh, who is going to replace him? Dan Graziano on yesterday with Wyman and Bob. The one name I keep hearing connected, which is a guy on the Lions coaching staff named uh, Tanner Engstrand, who's their passing game coordinator. I think he's a name to watch. I, I was sort of through the process was told he'd be a name to watch wherever McDonald ended up. And um, I think Chip Kelly is definitely somebody who's in the mix. The Seahawks kind of have their process, right? Like they go through their process and, and they're going to stick to it. And, and even if there's like a favorite, they're going to interview everybody. They're going to interview everybody for the exact same amount of time uh, and ask the exact same questions. And uh, and they feel like that's the right and fair and smart way to do it. So uh, at this point, you don't have a lot of competition, right? Like there aren't a lot. I think most of the, the coordinator hires have been made. I think they have the ability to kind of to do it at their pace. They certainly are. But as we know, that pace has a little bit of a timeline necessary with some of the decisions that need to be made specifically on the quarterback position. Joel Klatt was with us yesterday, and I think his reasoning on Chip Kelly would carry the day for me. I think Chip has shown, an, uh, ing- I would say, an incredible ability to find run game success everywhere that he's been. It's- yeah, I'll take that over a passing game coordinator, at least on its surface and without knowing all of the details about both guys. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Super Bowl media nonsense and hype should mostly be over now and we'll be just about ready to play the actual game. Think anybody gets in trouble between now and Sunday? You got two weekend nights in Vegas. Pretty good chance. Yeah, it feels like we haven't had one of those good, like, night before the Super Bowl kind of moments in a while. Maybe the guys are just more serious now. There's more cell phones out. Everybody's being judged and monitored all the time. But it feels like it's been years since we've had a good night before the Super Bowl guy getting in trouble issues. So see if that happens uh, over the next two. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was really bummed to see the Cam Hayward beat out Bobby Wagner for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award yesterday. I'm not saying Hayward doesn't deserve it. I don't know that much about Cam Hayward, but I do know that Bobby deserved it. And I thought that one was just... That's just too bad. Hall of Fame class announced uh, Julius Peppers, Devin Hester, Dwight Freeney, Andre Johnson, Patrick Willis, Steve McMichael, Randy Gratishar. I got no issues really with any of those guys. Those are all Hall of Famers in my book. Devin Hester's, I guess, the one big question mark because really he did it just as a returner. But he was so dominant. He was so great at that one skill that, yeah, I, I think you put Devin Hester into the Hall of Fame. I have no problem with that at all. Andre Johnson, superstar, Dwight Freeney, sack master, Patrick Willis, you know, along with Bobby, one of the best players of his generation at that position. I got no problem with any of these. I think that's a really the good Hall of Fame The only snub I class. thought there was was Antonio Gates. I mean, he's one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Yeah. He yeah, you could have put Gates in. Yep. You could put Gates in here over one of these guys. But my guess is he'll get in. 
right? So if he didn't get in this year, I think Antonio Gates will eventually get in. Yeah, that's a bit of a snub, but I don't have an issue with any of the guys that went in, and I don't remember Randy Gratishar, but Steve McMichael was one heck of a player, not only on the 85 Bears, but on uh, the original Tecmo Bowl. He was uh, pretty fun to play with. Here's the third thing you need to know. Not as fun as using Singletary or even Dave Dewerson on the Bears, but still pretty fun. Time for the Kraken to get back on the ice after a little extra long All-Star break. They'll start another East Coast swing tomorrow in Philly. Kind of a tough stretch. Tough schedule here. The travel will be difficult. The quality of opponents is tough. But it's also going to dictate what they decide to do with the deadline. Can they play well enough to get management to add talent? Or are they going to fall back a little bit? And if they do, I was reading this yesterday from Rob Simpson, pointing out that Jordan Eberle might be a very attractive piece for a legitimate contender trying to get over the top. He's in the last year of his deal here in Seattle. Yes, he has said he would like to stay. But if you're the Kraken and you fall out of it, Jordan Eberle would be a really good chip to try to bring something back. He would absolutely help a contender. Veteran guy puts the puck in the net, play a bunch of different spots. That would be... uh, That'd be a pretty good move. All right. That's everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Sulk show. Yeah. I mean, JSN is just outright laughing. I, yeah. Uh, again, he had a really easy, simple opportunity to just answer right? the question, say the cliche, move on to the next question. Yeah. He obviously did not want to do that. So <laughs> what can I tell you? What? He's just not interested in in going in that direction. I'll tell you, I want to. I'll play some of this here a little bit later. We're gonna we're gonna go through Joel Klatt here in a few minutes. But after that, uh, at Bump and Stacy, we're kind of going through all of the kind of coordinator names yesterday. And I know Bump's been kind of talking through uh, how he is a fan of Eric Bieniemy. And maybe I'm just sort of under Brock's influence here because he sort of told me, you know, over and over again that there's just something about him that turns a lot of people off. And that there's a reason he was not the you know named a head coach, and then kind of what went sideways in in Washington this past year, and you know the guy they had on from D.C. was not a fan. I mean, it's pretty rare that you ask about a you know a coach or play, and generally you're going to get mostly nice platitudes. And this was anything but that. So I'll make sure to play that for you guys. I got some sound from them, which we will do right after Joel Klatt. Now, if you're interested. In somebody being mean to me, Joel's your guy. It was so good. If passing wasn't it, it enough was the day Passin before, wasn't best. you needed a little bit more from Joel Klatt yesterday. I mean, they so. have me every day, but. Joel was better than you at it. I just, I don't, I don't know what to tell he you. Really he really owned he, you. He, he owned me in many ways. So <laughs> stick around. You guys will hear it next. It's Brock and Salt. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports Channel. Yeah, 206 says, don't worry, the world's changing to run flat tires and roadside assistance for Sally. I mean, Salk. All right. Come on now. You know right. who I think is with you on this one? Who? Clap. Really? I don't think he's a real handy. No. No. Mm-mm. He seems like much more of a man than me, really. <laughs> I would think Joel can certainly fix, change a tire. Well, ask him, fix him. All right. If he can hang a pendant or fix his toilet or change Can you do any of those things, Joel? You don't touch the inside of a toilet, right? I mean, you're not, your you're not allowed to reach in on those chains, are you? <laughs> well, the plumber's well, union, they get upset. 
I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not handy, but I can, I can change a tire. Oh. Uh, mm. I mean, you better be able to do that. But no, I'm not fixing anything around the house. Smart. Oh my god. Yeah, don't touch any of that. Somebody here says, "Sulk without logic that you won't take another man's job seems wrong." You took a legitimate radio show's <laughs> job by being on the air. True. That's that's rude. Quite hey, frankly, uh, Joel, Mike told a story to start the show that he thought he had a voltage issue, a wiring <laughs> issue, called out his contractor and the electrician. It turns out it was just a it was just a light bulb. Oh. Yeah. Kinda tough. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Kind of tough. tough. Well, that's yeah, that one. That's a shot to the ego a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, it hurt. But 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 in my defense, it was in the stairway. Like it takes like right. an acrobat to get to that light bulb. Sure. So well, I in f- everybody yeah. else's defense, that's really not a defense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Can't we just talk about football instead sure. of my uh, inadequacies as a human? Uh, Joel, let's talk. Can we talk for a minute about Chip Kelly? Because I heard the name two nights ago, and I got pretty excited about the idea of Chip as the offense coordinator here in Seattle. How how much have you watched Chip, talked to him over the last couple of years, and what do you think he would look like back in the NFL, not as a head coach, but running an offense? Well, there's a lot of layers to this. You know, like, you know, why why would these head coaches want to – go to the national football league. And that's a whole other conversation. Then there's the conversation just about the, the schematics and, and what it would actually look like. I do find it interesting uh, that a guy that may be getting a shot a hair early, uh, Mike McDonald would be looking to a guy like chip uh, to be a coordinator who has head coaching experience, vast head coaching experience at both levels so I don't think that this is necessarily a schematic deal offensively. Um, now, you, you can certainly make the argument that the NFL game is is closer to what the college game has been historically over the last 20 years than ever before. You can make a strong argument that, that the, the offense that Chip excels in and what he even did at Philadelphia is certainly something that can and would work in the, in, in the NFL right now. I think Chip has shown an, uh, ing- I would say, an incredible ability to find run game success everywhere that he's been. It's, it's. I, I don't know why it's been. I, I think mis, uh, misconceived as like a a, a finesse offense, but it's mm-hmm. not. Everywhere mm-hmm. that he's been, they've been the top rushing team. Now he just uses space to rush as as well as anybody, but they've always been a great running team. And that's certainly something that would be attractive to Mike McDonald, who's coming from a Harbaugh tree, who understands that complementary football, playing great defense, and being tough at the line of scrimmage is the way that you win. And so I think those things are are what is driving this. His experience, his run game schematics, more more so than like some sort of high flying, you know, type of creative offense. I think it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not a creative offense, but that it's it's fundamentally what Mike would be looking for to complement what he would be doing on defense. Okay, so put yourself, Joe Klatt, with us into the shoes of a 36-year-old first-time NFL head coach. You and I both saw Mike McDonald at Michigan uh, a couple different times. And if you're that 36-year-old head coach and this is the biggest hire you're going to make, give me a couple must-haves with your offensive coordinator. Well, I touched on it on that last last answer. I think the, the biggest mistake – first-time head coaches make, in particular when they're really young, 
is when they surround themselves with also very young people around them. I think you need experience. And I'm not just talking about schematic experience. I'm talking about coaching experience, coach life experience. So that would be number one. I'd be looking for someone with head coaching experience. Obviously, Chip checks that box. And then the other box is that I would be looking for someone who would want to complement what I want to do philosophically. Uh, I think one of the things at both levels, college and the NFL, that can derail a team faster than anything is when the offense and the defense and the special teams are, are all on different pages. And when you're all on the same page and you're working in tandem philosophically to win the game, that's how Michigan won the national championship. Let's be very frank. They were the best all-around team. Georgia has done that over the last few years. Um, and, and Baltimore certainly is that way. They complement each other. Now, they have a great quarterback. But that's the things that I would be looking for if I was Mike. I don't want to fight against a guy that wants to go put up numbers. I want a guy that his ego is checked at the door. He's got experience. He's not looking for the next job. Maybe this is what he wants to do, and he's done being a head coach and just wants to coach football. And now I can really lay out the, the foundations of what we want to be philosophically, and then that can work in concert throughout the three areas. When you sat with Mike McDonald three years ago in Ann Arbor, as he's the D coordinator, did you think three years later I'm going to be on Brock and Salk's morning show talking about him as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks? Well, I knew he would be a head coach. The Brock and Salk thing, I don't know. Right. I, I figured we'd I be broken up again by then. Right. Divorced. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, like, were you guys together at yeah. that point? Probably or, not. Or, yeah. No. It's 50 50 shot, you know, whatever, whatever year you happen we, to guess we were, on. I think we were podcasting that year. We <laughs> yeah, it's been podcasting. That's, you know, I know all about that. I will tell you. I knew he was going to be a head coach at some point. This is early, though. This is quick. I think it's even quick based on, you know, from what I know, what John Harbaugh thought. But the problem is, is we see so many examples, both levels of guys not striking when the iron is hot. Think about like, uh, for example, um, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. You know, a couple of years ago, he was up for every job in the country and and he didn't take it. And everyone commended him. But the problem is you lose, um, you know, the uh, um, blank and Purdy. running back. Well, Purdy, obviously, <laughs> but the Hall, running back. Yep. Brees Hall, that's mm-hmm. right. You lose those guys. And remember the, the vast senior leadership they had on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, guess what? You're not a hot commodity. And then people are wondering, like, well, should you be fired? So the opportunity comes up. It arises, and you've got to go take advantage. And so while this is early, I think even um, John Harbaugh would say it's it's early. Mike was always going to be a head coach, and I knew it the first time I ever met with him. Talking to Joel Klatt, uh, of course, of, uh, of Fox Sports. Tell me uh, if you were in John and now Mike McDonald's shoes and you had the number 16 pick in the draft, are you looking at a quarterback given that there may be six quarterbacks taken in the first round of this draft or are you looking to really build on the line of scrimmage that that is sort of like the necessity for this type of a of a team well there's two things that i think are in abundance early in this draft offensive linemen and quarterbacks so they can go either way and i think it depends on which player falls to them um couple of guys that, that I think are, are fascinating is Mims from Georgia and, and where he gets slotted. Uh, he's an offensive lineman. Um, and where he gets slotted and where he could potentially go. 
And then the other one, and I know that, you know, this is not just a headline deal, but with his history, no one in this draft is going to know outside of Jim Harbaugh is going to know JJ McCarthy better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just, I look at what his skill set is, what Mike saw both at Michigan when he was just a freshman, and then what he saw with Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that J.J. is a comparable to Lamar. But I will say that, that Mike understands the, I would say, the, the importance of the quarterback's ability to create between two and five first downs with his legs. A game. Those are monumental because the defense can do everything right, which he's uniquely aware, and then all of a sudden the quarterback makes you wrong. J.J. has that ability. Uh, I think that he would be in an offense that is familiar to him, in a system, in a language that, that would be f- familiar to him, not necessarily schematically, but from a philosophical standpoint, Mike's going to do what John did. John does what Jim does. So, that that's a name to me that's fascinating. You know, what's JJ's grade, and and would Seattle look at JJ McCarthy? Can, can I ask you the same question about him that I asked Brock yesterday? Not that I don't accept Brock's answer, but I, I want to hear yours. <clears throat> can he convert a third and ten first down without his legs? Like, can, does he of have course. the arm strength to throw it on third and ten oh, from the pocket course. and make? Because it it didn't seem that way. Kind of watching him in the last few games of the year. Wait, really? I didn't think so. I mean, he, he strikes me as not a guy with watch? a fantastic arm. He didn't look like Penix. Oh, he didn't look on. like a lot of the NFL guys who were just gunning so from back there. Did you there. watch the Ohio State game? No. <laughs> I didn't. I said the last two games of the year. I saw Alabama and I saw Washington, the only two said, games I've seen. Said yes, I was going to say you were blind. No, yes. I didn't see it. Did you, you know, see the throw to Joel, Roman Wilson Joel, over the just, middle? Joel, the needle? Joel, will you appreciate Salk's answer right there? He was one <laughs> oh, of the few. That, yes, he was one of the few that did not, but he's fine with answering that. He he's, can't change a light bulb, but he can tell you he did not watch that game. The two that he watched the Alabama game and ultimately the national title game, he did not play like he did in the game you, you, know, you called and have called the last, I don't know, dozen years or so. So, <laughs> Brock, you'll chuckle at this. Do you know how many games I've called, Michigan games I've called in the last three years? A lot. 16. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, Salk didn't even watch the Ohio State game, and he's b- blabbering on about J.J. doesn't make throws? I'm not. I'm asking you. I, I'm asking the question. I, I, I trust mean, it was a leading guys. question. It no. was a leading question. And to me, a, I haven't seen. It was a push-pull. It was a bit of a push-pull. <laughs> You're in Colorado, so, right? You know what about push-pulls. So, yeah, that's fine. Here, yeah. Listen, listen. I'm, I'm having a little fun at your expense, obviously, but yes, he makes he makes those throws and he makes them often. Now, here's here's what I would say: if if I was just going to give you any sort of legitimacy to your point, which there is very little, <laughs> I would say that he isn't asked to do what, let's say, a Michael Penix is asked to do. Penix was asked between twenty and thirty times a game to read post-snap, straight drop-back pass, downfield passing game. And he was asked to do that a lot. J.J. was not. Very little straight drop-back without any play action, without any run action. 
and and read something post snap. Now, there's a difference between, at least in my estimation, you can say it's drop back pass, but if it's quick game, that's generally not a post snap decision. Hmm. As Brock, you you know, mm-hmm. you and I would know, it's it's like a lot of leverage plays, a lot of number count, and you know where that ball is going before it's in your hands. So I'm talking about actual post snap reads downfield, straight drop back pass. He was maybe asked to do that between four and six times a game, maybe. And remember, they were up and leading a lot. And that that was a philosophy that was based on running the football, grinding people out. Now, when he was asked to do that, he did make incredible throws. He makes incredible throws both on the run, outside of the pocket while he's creating, and inside of the pocket. And I would just point you to that throw that he made against Ohio State down the middle of the field. It was somewhat of a controversial play because – I was blabbering on that I didn't know if Roman Wilson had full possession of the ball, you know, at the goal line and blah, blah, blah. What got lost was this throw that he made that was absolutely insane. Um, and he did that several times. I appreciate your honesty. Yes. But, uh, you know, as in my cousin Vinny, overruled <laughs> well i'm i appreciate the answer it's sad that it'll be the last one you ever give on the show but i i really i really do appreciate it seems like everyone listening probably enjoys it brock yeah. seems to enjoy this pretty well so this is what we get brock for having yeah. former like morning show hosts on like i don't i always tell you that we should yep. never have other radio people on just writers yep. they sure. have no opinion Why? Because, they, because they don't get nervous right. on the phone and think like oh i just want salt to like yeah. to bring me back. <laughs> we just got a text in. This is delightful. Instant classic. Uh, thank Joel, you, Joel. You are the best. Seriously, thank you so much. Great answers. Great stuff. As always, it's nice to have a the number guest. one Fox analyst on the show. See, why you gotta why you gotta do that? That was just a low blow. Are you not the number one Fox like, analyst? Yes, I'm trying to build you I up. Am, but but the way that you said it, I mean he's sitting right there. Thank you, Joel. I don't even know what you mean. Thank you, Joel. Good stuff as you always. Guys are, you guys are great. Brock, I love yeah. you. You Joel, too, we'll try buddy. better next time. Yeah, sorry. We'll do better. We'll do better next time. There's Joel Klatt. I'm very surprised he didn't give me an I love you at the end also. I kind of I kind of was expecting one. Yeah, you he earned gave, it. Gave Brock a full well, I love you. Well, you got the tough love. Do better next time. Yeah, but I I mean, I called him. I, I was there to build him up as as the Fox number one analyst and all of that. So kind of kind of thought that uh, <laughs> would have gotten some love back. Yeah. Um, J.J. McCarthy? You guys buy? Like, you saw J.J. McCarthy. You think that guy's got an NFL, like a big time NFL arm? Big time, I don't know. It's like I was weird to more and I were talking about this yesterday. He's still twenty one. Like he's gonna fill in and get bigger and stronger. He's like doesn't have a man body yet. It feels like he very well could. What freaks me out is that when you go and look at his games, there, it, there were so often where he wasn't asked to throw very much, like a hundred something yards a mm-hmm. game. That yeah, it's just a lot to me. That's not a lot of experience throwing heading into the NFL where things are going to be a lot different. And he's so young, like Justin said. And I just, I think that the days of you drafting a guy and like waiting to develop him, can't do that. it just seems like that goes wrong every time a team tries to do that. Now they get thrown in there sooner than you think. All right. Yeah. So let, let's say though, there, that, that there are sort of two counter examples to that, right? One obviously is Patrick Mahomes. That one's never going to go away. People are going to be pointing at that one forever because he sat for a year under Alex Smith. The other, though, was this year with Jordan Love, right? I mean, that I think we at least need to recognize that 
after sitting for some time, playing only in spot duty, Jordan Love came on this year, brought his team to the playoffs, and looked pretty darn good in the playoffs until he made one crucial mistake. So, yeah, I, I look in general. You I also think have like the Trey Lance situation yes. where you had to throw him in there before you wanted to. That's happened to a few teams as well. I think in general, you're absolutely right. There, we, we've got like two exceptions that generally prove the rule. But in general, if you're going to draft a quarterback, you want to get as much value out of him as possible during the time you have him. And while he's cheap, right. that's the whole reason you want to be going with a young quarterback. I, I'll just say this. If they do end up drafting J.J. McCarthy, I'll tell you what, I'll be psyched. I'll have some concern that on third and long, he's not a guy who's going to be able to sit in the pocket and just, you know, look out and find somebody like Gino can. I mean, Gino can, he's got that strong arm and Penix has a strong arm and that, that will worry me despite what Joel said, but I really do like a lot of the other stuff he does. I like his movement, his athleticism, leadership, all those things are great. Uh, Andrew and Elma says, it's funny I'm always on board for making fun of Salk. That's a great way to start a text. Andrew. Friday, Andrew. But also anyone who <laughs> even has even the slightest chance to predict what college quarterbacks will be successful in the NFL are doing that for a living. Brock Purdy is in the Super Bowl. It's a good point. Yeah, fair. I mean, Brock Purdy it was the last pick in the draft. So it it, it is it is a little challenging to get like all all up in anybody's business well, when you're talking like about Patrick the future. Patrick Mahomes was he wasn't even the highest touted quarterback no. in, that, in his class. No, went a little bit later in the draft and went behind a couple of other guys that have not had uh, anywhere near the same success. A lot of people frustrated this morning, by the way, about uh, Devin Witherspoon fourth in the rookie of the year voting and want me to rant. 580 says, Salk, are you okay with Spoon finishing behind some D lineman on the Rams? We never heard mentioned once in games against them. How is Spoon behind Kobe Turner? I'm completely baffled in the 5-8-0. Well, so he's not just behind Kobe Turner, right? So he was behind Will Anderson Jr., who was number one. He's behind uh, Jalen Carter, who we talked a lot about, who was number two. And then Kobe Turner was number three. Our guy Spoon was number four. Yeah. Does that feel low? Yeah, a little bit. Like, if you just say fourth, like, man, it sure seemed like he had a pretty good season and he did by the way get a bunch of first place votes for defensive rookie of the year this turner guy whether you heard of him or not had eight or nine sacks this year was pretty good and 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 did all of that without starting the entire year kind of came on as the season went on but he was listed as only having four starts because he's still at aaron donald he's a defensive tackle that was my next question was did all these guys play a full season because it was that the biggest knock against Spoon? devin witherspoon did not right uh jalen carter and and will anderson did jalen carter played 16 games there you go all right missed one game but um you know essentially an entire season and they play more important positions like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Like, I, I really like Witherspoon. This is not a shot at him. I don't think it's that. Okay. I think it's defensive line versus cornerback. I don't think it's an accident that the three guys who finished one, two, and three play in the front, you know, the front of the defensive line. I Will Anderson, I know, is on the edge. But, you know, defensive linemen, defensive tackles, okay. defensive ends. Okay. In his case, an edge rusher, you know, outside linebacker type. But that that's not an accident. Those are the players that affect the game the most on defense. I'm actually, I'm more frustrated that Jalen Carter finished ahead of him than Kobe Turner, honestly. Nine sacks to me is insane. (laughs) I don't know. Jalen Carter had six sacks, but he only had 
33 combined tackles. Every Devin time, Witherspoon had 79. Any, anybody we asked, though, who watched those Eagles games said that he was winning on a consistent basis, yeah, and that he was team, disruptive, yeah. et cetera. So, I think I, some of that faded, though, from the reports I was hearing. I thought some of that faded down the stretch. Yeah, well, I think the Eagles faded down the stretch. So yeah. he could probably I mean, their defense turned out to be them. one of the worst in the league after being one of the best yeah, I, last I, year. I guess the thing I'm just going to go ahead and just keep saying is is I, I really like Devin Witherspoon. I don't have a problem with that pick. I really like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't have a problem with that pick. I think it's really hard when you've got two first-round picks to make both of them guys who play outside rather than at least one of them who plays on the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And I think that that problem is exacerbated when Derek Hall had as bad of rookie year as he did. If Derek Hall had come on and been tremendous last year, you'd be like, yeah, all right, kind of weird that they did it the way they did it, but they got a dude, and so it all kind of works out. That didn't happen. And, you know, remember we were talking about it at the beginning of last year. Like, man, it sure feels like they're counting on this Cameron Young dude, a fifth-round pick, to come on fourth or fifth-round pick and, and like, instantly be a plugger in the middle. And he ended up being a complete non-factor for them. And part of the reason they had to go out and trade for Leonard Williams and part of the reason they don't have a second-round pick now, like, that, that's hard to do. Salk Sauce Gardner was not a D-lineman. Yeah, I know. And he was, you know, so ridiculously good that he ends up winning. But I do believe that defensive linemen are going to kind of carry the day over a corner, as they should. As Brady pointed out on Twitter also, he was the only one of the top four who made the Pro Bowl on the original ballot. But so? is that because of the guys who are ahead of him on now this list? Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, and Kobe Turner have guys ahead of them who are also more Pro Bowl caliber? Like- Andrew and Elm was on fire this morning. He says, only eight or nine sacks? That's his job. Spoon had three sacks. It's not even his job to go get sacks. All right. Well, that's a good point. Look, <laughs> you know what, man? I really like Devin Witherspoon. I don't want to sit here and be in the business of saying I don't like him because I absolutely like him a lot. I think he's a really great player. I just think it's really hard to have gone cornerback wide receiver and now go out and hire a coach who's like, yeah, what I really want is guys on the on the, on the line of scrimmage. You had a chance to maybe get some of those guys. And when Evan Carter finished ahead of spoon. Yeah. I, I, I told you a bunch of times, what was my problem with the Seahawks team this year? There were a bunch, but one of them was not quality of roster, but placement and dispersion of roster where their good players played as opposed to the guys that didn't play that well. And I think the Seahawks were not as good as they could have been because players up front were not as good as players on the outside. And I would, I think that the teams that you're watching, look, they've got great players on the outside too, but generally you got to have the horses up front if you want to win. And both of these teams have that, which is why they're in the Super Bowl and why the Seahawks have to find a new coach and are finding a new coordinator and moving on. All right. Brock's going to be in next. Um, he he's basically lied to us already today and he hasn't even been here yet. So we'll see where this goes. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 Salesports.com.